God's people, God's people have swagger. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's real good. That's real good. Uh, we will be sending out five missions teams starting this week. And so uh, please keep all of our missions teams in prayer as they go forth to preach the gospel, to go and build up the churches that we'll be working and partnering with, and to go forth to see signs, wonders, healings, and miracles so that the name of Jesus will be exalted. Uh, continue to keep our missions teams in prayer as they prepare to depart and while they're on the field. Uh, we really appreciate that from the entire church. All right, praise the Lord. Today, uh, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to continue to preach from that series on wisdom with time. And so the first message was about redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity. Uh, Second, my wife preached on overcoming procrastination. Third, last week, I talked about the power of your presence how important it is for us to be fully present. And today, I'm going to talk about something that you may not necessarily connect with wisdom with time, but it actually has a lot to do with wisdom with time. And so I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. It's toward the end of the New Testament. 2 Timothy, verse One, chapter one, verse seven. I'm going to read it in the ESV. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse seven. If you have your Bible, please turn there and keep it open there. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And all God's people said, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Uh, today, I want, let's clap at the 45-minute mark. All right, I think last week, what did I do, 40 minutes or 45 minutes? I, I know, but what was the target? What was the target last week? 35, you held it up? All right, just hold it up at 45. I think I can land it at, at five minutes after 45, all right? So I can, I can do about 45, 50 minutes, okay? All right, let's go. Uh, there's a book that I'm reading right now called The Power of Habit by Charles Duick. He's an investigative reporter for the New York Times. It's a new book, and it is a revolutionary book that I would highly recommend for anyone who wants to be successful uh, in their calling and in their area that God has called them. The book examines why some people and companies, they struggle to turn things around while others experience great success. This is an excerpt from the back of the book. The key to exercising regularly, losing weight, raising exceptional children, becoming more productive, or even building revolutionary companies is understanding how habits work. By harnessing this new science, we can transform our business, our communities, and our lives. The power of habit. Now, I've been really eager to share about some of these things that I'm learning in this book. And today, I'm just going to share one chapter from the book that is uh, quite remarkable, phenomenal, actually, if you really apply and you understand uh, what this chapter is trying to say. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we talk about wisdom with time, we think of time management. Or when we think of overcoming procrastination, we think of time management. When I talk about Redeeming the time, making most of every opportunity. What do we think of? We think of time management. And a lot of people think the solution for all of their problems in their life is just if I can manage my time a little better. Time management. And you know, some people are naturally 
wired to be more time oriented. Like Pastor Caleb down in uh, Busan, he is time oriented. When I went on a vacation with him a year ago to Phuket, Thailand, I mean, I was like, I called him the time Nazi. Because like every morning, you know, uh, Aaron and I, we're on vacation. We want to sleep in a little bit, you know. We weren't even sleeping in that much. We're like sleeping in until like 9.30 or something. Like he'll call us at like, you know, like 9 o'clock. Hey, are you guys up? We got to go to the buffet. Buffet's going to close at 10.30. You know, he'll call us again at like 9.10. Hey, are you guys up yet? I'm like, come on, give us a break, you know. We'll go down, you know, when we, when, when we feel like it. You know, we'll get there before the buffet ends, all right? Don't worry about it. He was always time-oriented. So some people are naturally time-oriented. Other people are what's called event-oriented. They're more focused on finishing whatever it is they're, 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 they're doing. They're task-oriented. They're more um, finishing the event. They see life in events. Other people see life according to time. And so there are people that are naturally more that are naturally inclined to be better at time management. But one thing that must be discussed is that you can be an expert time manager and still live a mediocre life. You can be time-oriented or you can be event-oriented, a person who has learned how to manage their time. You can be an expert at time management and still live a very mediocre life. Let me give you an example. Uh, I'll give you a, um, a sports example. All right, American football, okay? Because I'm talking a lot about football. In the NFL, in American football, if you are a coach who is an expert time manager, you're always aware of the time and the situation. Second down, third down, where it's only... Uh, two minutes and 50 seconds to go. You have three timeouts and you're an expert manager at managing that time. Your team is going to have a good rate of success. But if you are expert at managing the time, but you don't call the right plays, your team is still going to lose. You can call the timeouts right when you need to, but if the call that the play that you call that the quarterback has to execute is completely off, or it's just com- the defense is completely expecting it, you're going to get sacked, you're going to be taken out of field goal range, and you're going to lose the game. Well, in a similar way, there are people that may be experts at time management, but that does not mean you're going to be successful. Because you can be good at clock management, or you could be spending the time that you're managing on complete, completely the wrong things. And so what a lot of uh, corporate America is talking about these days is not so much time management. That's a given. We got to all manage our time. It's talking about now managing what's called willpower. What's more important than even time management is managing your willpower. All right, so that's what I'm going to talk about today. There's a chapter in this book, Power of Habit, where they highlight the company Starbucks. And they focus on um, how Starbucks centers their training around one thing and one thing only. And that's willpower. So in 2005, uh, researchers at the University of Pennsylvania, they analyzed 164 eighth grade students. And they took note of their IQ And also, they ran certain tests to test how much willpower that they demonstrated. And what they found was that students who exerted a high level of willpower were more likely later in high school to have fewer absences, spend less time watching TV and doing their homework, earned higher grades, and resulted in admission into better colleges. So University of Pennsylvania researchers, they wrote, highly self-disciplined adolescents outperformed their more impulsive peers on every academic performance variable. Self-discipline predicted academic performance more robustly than did IQ. Self-discipline also predicted which students will improve their grades over the course of the school year, whereas IQ did not. I remember when I was going to high school, there was this guy named... um, 
Peter Fines. Peter Finus. I forget how to say his last name. There's a guy named Peter. A white guy named Peter. And we were in our computer science class. And this guy was a genius. Like where it took hours for us to figure out. Like we, we had to write our first um, computer program game. And we wrote it from scratch. And we had to write a chess game using the Pascal computer program language. And it took the rest of us like days, weeks to figure out how to start. Peter knew like on the first day. Like his, his IQ was like off the charts. Like he was already tested a measure versus IQ. It was off the charts. But what was sad was our teacher would lament on how when Peter wasn't around, our teacher would lament on what a waste of talent that Peter had because a lot of times he had the IQ, but he didn't have the willpower to study well and get good grades in his classes, for him to uh, finish his assignments, for him to show up on time, whatnot. You know, IQ, just like this UPenn study showed, does not measure how successful somebody's going to be. You could be in here, the person with the highest IQ, and you could be in massive debt, can't show up to work on time, can't hold down a job for more than three months. How many of you in here, you think you got the highest IQ? Show, show me a hand. You, you think, I actually got my IQ tested when I was in uh, fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. So I know my IQ. I remember at the end of the uh, test, the, um, the lady said, uh, the genius level for IQ back, back then, I don't know if they revised it, okay? The genius level was 130. So they say 130 is genius level. And uh, Suk Young Lee, that's my Korean name. She said, you are at 136. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> but, you know, you can, that's the thing. You can, you can have, that's, that's not considered like a high, high IQ, right? But, like, you can have a high IQ, but if you're not self-disciplined, your life is not going to go anywhere. Researchers found that the best way to strengthen willpower and give students a leverage in life is to make willpower into a habit. One of the researchers said, sometimes it looks like people with great self-control aren't working hard, but that's because they've made it automatic. So this chapter talks about making willpower into a habit. Now, the book describes the remarkable success of Starbucks and how Starbucks has taught people life skills that schools, families, churches, communities have failed to provide. When the book was published in 2012, Power of Habit, Starbucks had 137,000 employees and more than 1 million alumni. In one sense, this makes Starbucks one of the largest educators in the world. A typical employee spends his or her first year doing 50 hours of Starbucks classroom training and dozens more using workbooks at home and getting coaching from mentors. And at the core of Starbucks training is an intense focus on one habit that they feel matters most. And that habit is willpower. Uh, the author, he highlights the testimony of one Starbucks employee named Travis. Travis was born to drug addicts. His parents passed away when he was very young. He dropped out of high school when he was 16. He tried to get a job at a car wash and got fired for insubordination. Then he got a job at Hollywood Video and McDonald's and was let go because he would lose his cool to, toward rude customers. Uh, a lot of times he would just fail to show up to work just because he didn't feel like it. He'll, he'll come late to work. I mean, this guy had no self-discipline whatsoever. True orphan spirit. Just didn't have a father or mother uh, teaching him these life skills. But one day, one of his Hollywood video customer, customers challenged the young man when, he, when the customer found out he got fired to come and work for Starbucks. Because this customer was a manager for a Starbucks that was opening up. And they put Travis through the Starbucks training and he became a completely different man. 
In six years, Travis went on to become the manager of two Starbucks, overseeing 40 employees, making over 40000 a year. He's never late to work, and he never loses his cool on the job. How did they turn this orphan kid into a manager? How did they turn his life around? What are the things that he learned? And so the chapter kind of unpacks that. All of you are familiar with the marshmallow experiment, right? For those who are not, I'll, I'll just kind of describe it in a nutshell. In the 1960s, Stanford University conducted the famous marshmallow test. In it, they tested the willpower of a group of four-year-olds. Put these little four-year-olds in a room and they offered a deal. They put a marshmallow in front of them and said, If you wait a few minutes, we will give you two marshmallows. And about 30% of the four-year-olds were able to maintain their self-control, and they got two marshmallows. The other 70%, the moment the researcher left the room, (laughs) just inhaled the marshmallow. And what Stanford University found was, when they tracked down these four-year-olds later on in life, they found that those who were able to have the self-control, demonstrate the self-control, they had better grades, higher SAT scores, they were more popular socially, and they were more prone to stay away from drugs. And so by the 1980s, a theory emerged that was generally accepted. Willpower is a skill that can be learned, just like math or social etiquette. Willpower is a skill. But unfortunately, the topic was not popular around that time. So funding dried up, and it didn't really go anywhere. Nobody really kind of examined it further. But in the 1990s, because Stanford did this in the 60s, in the 1990s, Mark Moravian, Mark Moravian of Case Western Reserve University, looked at the data And he and his team began asking questions that previous researchers have failed to ask. To Moravian, it didn't make sense that willpower is a skill. Because a skill is something that once you learn, for example, riding a bike, uh, cooking a casserole, cooking denjangjige or something like that, right? Once you learn a skill, it's something that you can pull up anytime you want. But what he noticed in his own personal life is there were days when he had a hard time exerting his willpower. For example, if he wanted to go for a jog, if he wanted to eat more healthy, stay away from television, there were certain days where he simply couldn't do it. If willpower is a skill, he asked himself, why does it fluctuate? So, He came up with an experiment. He asked 67 college students to skip a meal and then come into a uh, a room where one by one they sat in front of a bowl of warm cookies and a bowl of radishes. Uh, Moo (laughs) for the Koreans, all right? And it wasn't gaktugi, okay? It wasn't pickled. Uh, and so, and then he told them the purpose of this experiment is to test your taste perceptions, which is completely not true. Then he told half of the students, eat the cookies and ignore the radishes. Then to the other half, he told them, eat the radishes, ignore the cookies. Now, he knew that the latter group would have to expend a lot more willpower in order to ignore the cookies and eat the radishes. And then he came in to the room, the researchers came into the room and told them, we have to wait 15 minutes from now for the sensory memory of the food you just ate to fade. And in order to pass the time, we're going to give you a little puzzle. And the researcher implied that the puzzle will be simple. It was like tracing a geometric shape without lifting the pencil and without... uh, going over a spot you already went over. So it's like tracing a geometric straight shape, right? And they told them that it's real simple, it should be easy. Not telling them that the geometric puzzle was actually impossible to solve. 
The puzzle wasn't about passing the time. It was actually the central point of the experiment. It required a lot of willpower to keep going at it in order to solve it. The researchers found that the cookie eaters spent an average of almost 19 minutes plus trying to solve the puzzle. But the radish eaters were totally different. As they observed them through the window, these radish eaters complained, got frustrated. When the researchers came in to check on how they were doing, they snapped at the researchers. The average time that the radish eaters stayed with the puzzle, less than eight minutes. 60% less time than the cookie eaters. When the researchers asked one of the radish eaters how they felt, he said, I'm sick of this dumb experiment. (laughs) Now, Moravian later said, quote, There's been more than 200 studies done on this idea since then. And they have all found the same thing. Willpower isn't just a skill. It's a muscle. Like the muscles in your arms and legs, it gets tired as it works harder. So there's less power left over for other things. The reason why the radish eaters couldn't stick with the puzzle is they had exerted so much of their willpower muscle to ignore the cookies. And they had to exert so much willpower to down those radishes that by the time they got to the puzzle, they weren't having it. Some people have used this data to explain why certain successful people give in to extramarital affairs. Which usually happens after a long day of business, after a long day of spending your willpower on all of your corporate clients. Or why skilled physicians make simple mistakes toward the end of the day. It's because willpower is a muscle. So this guy Moravian said, if you want to do something that requires willpower, like going for a run after work, you got to conserve your willpower muscle during the day if you used it up too early on tedious tasks like writing emails or filling out complicated and boring expense forms all the strength will be gone by the time you get home interesting right doesn't this explain why just a harmless 30 minutes on facebook seems to affect your entire day I mean, you go into the, uh, sometimes I'm going into the office and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to tackle this day. I got these top three things. I, I got to take care of the Sydney church plant. I got to push things forward for, for E101. I got these major decisions we got to make regarding discipleship. I mean, things that none of y'all can do, only I can do, right? And so I got to push these things forward. But I'll get on, I'll get to the office. And I'll just check Facebook. Oh, let me just see how people are doing. You know, let me just, let me just like a couple things. I'll get off. And I go on there and I just spend, you know, what I hope was 30 minutes turns into an hour. I read a couple articles, interesting articles. Hey, you're learning something interesting. This is not a waste of time. This may help me make some of these decisions, right? Yeah. And then after that 30 minutes to an hour is gone, I try to focus on what I actually want to do. And I can't. I feel so tired. (laughs) So it's not all about time management. It's really about willpower management. It's like when I was in high school, I used to be a varsity wrestler. All right. And (laughs) when you wrestle, it requires a lot of intense muscle usage. I mean, you are going all out for two-minute periods, three, three periods. You're going all out, like two minutes. Like none of you probably done this in your entire life. Expend the, all the muscles in your legs, your core, your abs, and your arms, and your neck. And to do that for two minutes straight, try doing that today. <laughs> I mean, you will be tired. And not just doing it by yourself, but doing it against somebody who is similar weight and, uh, uh, and strength. I mean, you, it is mad tiring. When we used to wrestle and get ready for a match, you know what we do? We have to, we have to make weight. So, you, you know, you, you, what you do is you don't eat. 
And you'd be like, how do you wrestle without eating? Right? We would not eat for like three days. And we show up to the wrestling match. And then we weigh in on the scale. And sometimes you're just slightly off and they won't let you wrestle. And so I remember one time I was just slightly off. And then the coach said, Christian, do it. And I was like, no, nah, come on. There's some, there's like female managers standing around. My coach said, do it. And then without hesitation, I took off my underwear. <laughs> That's what you got to do. That's what wrestlers got to do to make weight. And so I took off the underwear and they said, oh, Christian, you're good. And I put my underwear back on and I could not look at those female managers in the eye anymore. Anyway, um, we would not eat and we would show up to the, to the match. And right after you weigh in, you know what the wrestlers do? They eat a banana and some Tootsie Rolls and a, and a, and a cup of iced tea. That's it. And you go out there. And you conserve all your energy from the entire day. You don't, you, don't, you don't do nothing. You go out there and you wrestle. And you try to beat that other guy. And you try to have the endurance to outlast the other guy. And then you, you try to win. Well, a stupid wrestler would try to warm up. And, hey, hey, let, let me practice some of my moves before a match. Ain't no wrestler ever do that. One, because you have to make weight. So you're going to be pretty uh, tired. But two... You don't, you don't, you don't want to do that because your muscles accumulate what's called lactic acid. So the more you use your muscles, there's this thing called lactic acid. And it makes your muscles feel like iron and lead. And the more lactic acid accumulates in your muscles, the more tired you feel. Hey, why am I saying that? Well, willpower is similar. If it similarly works like a muscle, you have to understand you got to conserve your willpower. Focus it on the things that are most important. Because remember in Pastor Aaron's message. When you spend time doing something you're not supposed to do. You feel tired afterwards. And if you procrastinate. You feel more and more tired. Even if you're resting and watching TV. You feel tired after wa- resting, wa- watching TV. Because your, your mind knows you should have been doing something else. The entire time that anxiety makes you tired. But if you do what you're supposed to do. At the time you're supposed to do it. You feel energized. Well, in a similar way, we got to manage our willpower and direct it toward the things that matter most before we take care of the things that matter least. In 2006, two Australian researchers, Megan Oten and Ken Chang, they conducted a series of three different experiments. They wanted to find out if willpower is indeed a muscle, can it be strengthened like a physical muscle? For example, if you strengthen your willpower muscles... Will that willpower get stronger for other areas of your life? And so they enrolled two dozen people who are self-professed couch potatoes in a physical exercise program. And what they found was amazing. They found out that people who increased their willpower in the gym resulted in a halo effect. They had a greater willpower at home. So they ate less junk food. They smoked less, they uh, drank less alcohol, less caffeine. I mean, the experiment had nothing to do with these things. It was just focusing on uh, increasing willpower for working out. But it had this halo effect on other areas of their life. So these Australian researchers, they tried a different experiment. They, they, they enrolled 29 people in a four-month money management program, a financial management program, where they, they had all of the participants keep exact logs of their expenses and to stick with their budgets and such and such and such. What they also found from this experiment is, once again, there was a halo effect. Those who began to exert willpower in finances, also when they scrutinized other areas of their life, they were able to find willpower in how they ate. They started going to the gym. Right? This halo effect. They conducted one final test where they enrolled 45 students in an academic improvement program that focused on teaching them study habits. And what they found was later on, these students were found to smoke less, drink less, watch less TV, exercise and eat better, even though none of those things were mentioned in the program. So what they discovered is that once willpower was strengthened, good habits seem to be much easier for people to establish in other areas of their life. Willpower is like a muscle. 
So if you're a small group leader or your pastor encourages you to get into a habit, a routine of spending time with God in prayer and, and reading the scriptures each day, that, if you get that established, can actually bless you to eat better, to exercise more, to be a better employee at your workplace. There can be a halo effect because willpower is like a muscle. So the first point of my message today is we have to realize that willpower is like a muscle. It is an exhaustible resource that gets tired. We have a limited amount of it. But the good news is, just like a muscle that can be strengthened, we can also strengthen our willpower and it can have a halo effect on other areas of our lives. This is why... um, When parents enroll their children in music lessons. And the kid is like, I don't want to learn piano. I don't want to learn violin. (laughs) You know, man, when I was a kid, all my cousins, including my sister, they all play the violin. I could not stand that instrument. You know why? Because most of you only hear the violin when somebody becomes like a concert uh, and has a uh, recital where they practice. But try living with somebody who is trying to get to a recital. Oh, it's painful. (laughs) And I remember as a kid, my my mom would always drop off my sister at Mrs. Harvey's house. Mrs. Harvey was a violin teacher that taught a lot of Korean uh, children who have found out that she likes Korean children. I don't know. Anyway, Mrs. Harvey found out Korean parents, they want their children to learn violin. So she had like this huge like pool of students and my sister was one of them and we'd always drop her off and and because willpower is like a muscle when parents do things like this it actually has a halo effect on the rest of that kid's life it's not just about joining soccer or learning a piano or violin it's actually teaching that child how to exert their willpower and so you know i was thinking when i when i have my own children that i will not put them through the torture of learning an instrument that they don't want to learn. But I'm reconsidering now. <laughs> you know? Like, as a kid, you know, I turned out okay. Look at me, I turned out okay. <laughs> I think one of the reasons is because I took Taekwondo as a kid. <laughs> I remember as a, as a kid, I was wild. I was just, I would not behave very well. But man, you know, Taekwondo and karate, man, it really put me into shape really taught me self-control. Now, as research on willpower exploded, corporate America took notice. Companies like Gap, Walmart, Starbucks, who has to work with entry-level employees, people who didn't even finish college, people looking for just a 95 minimum wage job. You know, these companies have to deal with them all the time. And what these companies faced is a common problem, no matter how much they They try to get the employees to try harder. They found that these entry-level employees, a lot of them will snap at rude customers. They will show up late or they would just quit when a a stressful situation arose. So Starbucks tried to apply the lessons from the radish and cookie experiment. And And for a temporary period of time, they sponsored free gym memberships for its employees. Hoping that as people exerted their willpower in the gym, they would also, it would have a halo effect on their willpower in the workplace. But unfortunately, participation was spotty. They found that people did not want to go to the gym after a long day at Starbucks. At the height of this expansion, uh, Starbucks was opening seven new stores every single day. They were hiring 1,500 entry-level employees each week. So to train them in customer service was a non-negotiable. They had to figure out how can we do it and how can we do this better. Uh, The former president of Starbucks, Howard Bihar, he said, We're not in the coffee business serving people. We're in the people business serving coffee. Our entire business model is based on fantastic customer service. Without that, we are toast. 
Starbucks needed to make willpower and self-discipline into an organizational habit. And so they were trying to figure out how do we do this. Now, what they found out is a lot of these entry-level employees, when they really studied them, those who lacked willpower and self-discipline, on most days, they performed their job like everybody else. They could make the coffee. You know, they could eventually uh, train themselves to show up on time. But what they found the problem was when these employees that were uh, willpower challenged, when they had an unexpected stress or uncertainty that they faced, these employees tended to snap at the root customers and their self-control would evaporate. You know, when I heard that, you know, I, I felt comforted. You know, on most days, I'm a loving, gentle, kind, spirit-filled pastor. Amen? All right, that's real quiet. And uh, uh, even at the office, I'm a very kind, compassionate, you know, boss. Uh, my, my staff will tell you, on most days, I'm very kind and compassionate. You know, if I ask David to come into my room, I talk to him in a calm, loving manner, man, trying to manifest the heart of God the Father, to, be, to serve his, him as a spiritual father. Like, I, 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 I'm loving, I'm kind. But there are times <laughs> when our church staff, they do something that they shouldn't have done. Or I ask them to do something and they execute it completely different. Or they neglect to follow my instruction. And a high-stress situation arises. And I have found, pray for me, is that in these high-stress situations, I tend to really lose my patience. I snap at people. I get easily irritated. I vent out my frustration, not only to the person I'm working with, but to everybody in the room. I mean, I got to let everybody know. You know, you ever, you ever see someone like an entry-level employee at Walmart and, you know, and they just blow up at a rude customer? I mean, they're not going to just, they're not going to whisper, hey, I'm really upset at you. I'm going to be like, hey, get off my, get out my cashier line. Go to the back of the line. They're going to let everybody know. And people who grew up in the urban environment, <laughs> I think they can all relate to my experience with these entry. I, I relate to these entry-level Starbucks employees. In high-stress situations, I realize that my self-control tends to evaporate. Or when I'm driving, most of the times I'm a very pleasant driver, very safe. I obey the law 99% of the time. But there are times when somebody cuts me off and I let it go. And then there are other times I don't let it go. I can't let it go. Oh, we must talk. I got to catch up to you and we got to talk. I got to pull down my window. I got to look at you. I got to see what you're about. And I, I, I realize, I realize that willpower just like Starbucks found out, willpower tends to be like a muscle that goes limp when you are faced with a high-stress situation, some kind of conflict, something that makes you upset or frustrated. So what Starbucks, when they observed this, what they did was they began to train their employees intentionally in how to deal with what they call inflection points. Uh, inflection points are like, you know, a rude customer. An impatient customer. Yeah, you know, rude customer. Yeah, what, what, what else do you come up with? You know? Or employee drama or something like that. An inflection point. And uh, so they came up with routines for employees to follow when they felt their willpower muscles going limp. Uh, this is a quote from the book. The, man the manuals taught workers how to respond to specific cues, such as a screaming customer. Or a long line at the cash register. Managers drilled employees role-playing with them until the responses became automatic. 
the company identified specific rewards, a grateful customer, praise from a manager, that the employees could look to as evidence of a job well done. Starbucks taught their employees how to handle moments of adversity by giving them willpower habit loops. They see a certain cue. They try to get those employees to not even think about it, make it an automatic response, automatic habit, is to respond according to what the manual taught you. You know, this is a breakthrough for me. You know, if I can role play, if somebody in here will help me to role play with specific cues that I might face on the road, I think my road rage will be gone tomorrow or next week. I might need a few days of role playing. But you know what I mean? If you can, if I can get this response to become automatic, a gentle, kind, I bless that driver, I bless that, like whatever the response is, right? If I can get it in my mind and I can get myself to respond automatically, my road rage is gone. So it's not about, Pastor Christian, you got an anger problem. You got, you got to watch that movie, Anger Management. You got to deal with your temper. Like, you know, most of the time, I am not an angry man. I'm loving, forgiving, kind, slow to anger. You know, I was reading a book uh, by Joel Olstein, Become a Better You. And in the book, Joel Olstein talked about his grandma and how never, ever once in his life he saw his grandma impatient, frustrated, or upset. I was like, how is that possible? <laughs> Did she not go through anything? <laughs> no, but he, he, he said one Thanksgiving, his grandma forgot to cook the turkey. And people came in, and Joel Osteen, he was upset and everything. People were upset. But she was just singing a song in her heart, praise to God. And she was just like laughing and saying, can you believe I did that? (laughs) She just refused to get upset. When I saw that, I was like, Lord, I want to be just like her. I want to be Joel Osteen's grandma. I mean, it seems like I can't get through... uh, 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 Two days these days. I, these days, I can't get through like two days without showing my frustration. I don't know if the uh, New Philly staff, you notice the difference. I read the book around Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, you, you may have noticed I was more gentle. I was keeping my, be like Joel Osteen's grandma. Be like a grandma. Be like a grandma. Be like grandma. I want, in 10 years from now, I want people to say, I've never seen Pastor Christian upset. I've never seen him frustrated that's what that's that's what i want to see and you know what i believe i can do it uh but i got a lot of role playing to do uh more recent years researchers found that certain people were able to learn willpower habits easily, uh, like Travis, that guy I mentioned earlier, uh, while others struggle no matter how much training and, and support you provide. And so researchers started asking, what's the difference? Why is there some people that are inclined toward learning these um, willpower habits and some people, they just can't get it for the life of them? Mark Moraven Years later, he is now at the, or he is, he was then at the University of Albany. He did a new experiment. Very interesting. In it, he asked college students to sit in a room with a bowl of warm cookies. And then he told half the group, uh, one by one, as they came in, he told half the group very kindly to ignore the treats. And then he discussed the purpose of the experiment as a, as being a test to measure their ability to resist temptation. And then uh, the researchers thanked them and welcomed any feedback at the end of the experiment. The other half was not coddled like this. The other half of college students were simply given commands. And in fact, the researchers made it a note to be a little rude. And so they just came in and said, all right, what's your name? Susie Park? All right, don't touch the cookies. Peace. I mean, just real abrupt commands. 
And what they observed is the students from both groups were able to successfully ignore the warm cookies. Of course, they're adults. They're not four-year-olds, okay? Nobody ate the cookies. Nobody touched the cookies. And then came the most important part. The researchers asked each student to look at a computer monitor that was flashing different numbers. And the participants were asked to hit the space bar every time they saw a six followed by a four. So paying attention to this boring sequence of numbers, it required a lot of willpower. What they found is students that were treated kindly pounced on that space bar. Oh, oh, I see it. (laughs) And despite exerting their willpower to resist the cookies earlier, they were able to engage the uh, number sequence without losing focus. Their willpower muscle uh, was, you know, still pretty good. But what they found out was the other half of students that were treated rudely, they did terribly. They forgot to press the space bar. They kept asking, what are the instructions again? And a lot of them, they, were, they, they wanted to quit because they said they were tired and they couldn't focus. Their willpower muscle had been fatigued by rudeness. Isn't that interesting? This is so fascinating to me. Because I'm a goal-oriented people. I'm, I'm a goal-oriented person. <laughs> I'm a goal-oriented person, and then there are other people that are people-oriented people, like my wife. My wife is very people-oriented. She'll always be nice and kind and positive to you. But me, if you're catching me at the wrong time, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to look at you. You know, I might just command you, just hurry up, go, go fix that. Fix the AC, hurry up. Daisy, fix that AC right now. Pastor John, hurry up, what's wrong with these speakers? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you know. We've got work to do. It's fascinating to me because for me, I'm thinking in my mind, none of that really matters. You know, my wife, she's going through all the trouble of being kind and putting on a smile and giving great body language. I'm thinking, man, all that's a waste. Just tell them what to do. (laughs) And what Moraven found is when people are asked to do something that takes self-control, they think they're doing it for personal reasons. So if they feel like it's a choice or something they enjoy because it helps somebody else, it becomes much less taxing to them. But if they feel they have no autonomy and that they're just following orders, their willpower muscles get tired much faster. You see, in both cases, people ignore the cookies. But when the students were treated like cogs rather than people, it took a lot more willpower for them to engage in the computer screen experiment. What's all that mean? That means be nice to people. If you're in a position of leadership, it matters not only what you say, but how you say it. And what's amazing is if you're nice to them and you give them a bigger picture and you give them a little bit of autonomy, people tend to prosper. People tend to have a a much stronger willpower at the task that they're asked to do. So when Starbucks recently, they discovered this experiment They began to ask their employees to use their intellect and creativity rather than just telling them to make coffee. So what they did was they started to um, get these entry-level employees involved in local decisions in how to decorate and to lay out each Starbucks coffee shop. And so it's been known uh, that some of these employees... They'll have like days of meetings just to determine where they're going to place the espresso machine or where they're going to put the steamer or what, you know, what color, you know, walls or whatever they're going to, they're going to get. And what they found is this increased sense of authority and autonomy increased the willpower of the employees and the creativity of the employees. Isn't that interesting? Giving employees a sense of control improves how much self-discipline they bring to their jobs. I think there are three things that I find in, these, uh, in this chapter that I find quite fascinating. One is willpower is not a skill. It's not a skill. It's more like a muscle. And so you have to understand that you have a limited amount of it. So you got to exert it 
into the places that really matter. Uh, second is uh, willpower tends to disintegrate when you're faced with crisis and stress. So the way you got to deal with that is the way Starbucks dealt with it. You got to premeditate how you're going to deal with conflict and stress. If you don't, you can be the nicest guy during the week and you will be the guy who everyone thinks you have a temper because you blow up just one, one day of the week. You know, people don't remember the rest of the week. They just remember that one time you blew up. Man, I'm just thinking I blow up like every other day at my, at my office. I'm thinking how my uh, New Philly staff think of me. Do you guys think of me as a gentle, kind? Now don't answer the question. So, yeah, uh, willpower tends to evaporate in times of stress. So keep that in mind. And third is willpower thrives when you're treated nicely. Okay, how am I going to wrap all this up? Go to 2 Timothy 1.7 again. It's very interesting to me. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. In another translation, it says, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. It says in the King James Version. NIV says, self-discipline. And the ESV says, self-control. If you, if you study the Greek word, you know, all those meanings are very accurate. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Now, what does all this mean? If you, as an individual, whether you are in ministry or whether you're in the marketplace, hagwon job, photographer, whatever you do for your living. If these days you've been really struggling with time management, you've been procrastinating, and you know that if you get these things in check, you might be more successful. You know, even like your love life might even improve if you're able to exert a little bit more willpower. And you might feel a little bit hopeless because in the past, you have tried to stay off of Facebook. You have tried to go to bed on, on time. You have tried to stay away from that pornography. And you've been trying and trying and trying and you feel like you're falling into this mentality of futility. Like, what's the use of trying? I may never change. You might feel like this kid, Travis, whose parents were drug addicts. People didn't expect much from him, and so he didn't expect much of himself. And so, you know, rude customer at the car wash. Man, shut your face. Go wash your own car. Rude customer at McDonald's. You know, it said in the book that he threw chicken McNuggets at one car. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, man, that's me right there. I'm Travis. <laughs> if I worked at McDonald's, man, I might do something like that. I, in fact, when I was working at the Apple store in New York City, Man, there are some stupid customers that will come in sometimes. And let me tell you, I let them have it sometimes. I let them have it, but my manager wasn't around. And my manager never found out. <laughs> but uh, what, what am I talking about? <laughs> you might feel futile and hopeless. What's the use of changing or trying to change? And I'm here to tell you today, have hope. Things are going to get better. You can help change you by making efforts. You know why? You should never fall into futility, but always be a prisoner of hope. Why? You should always have hope that you can change and transform. You know why? Because the grace of God is at work in you. And the Bible says God has put his spirit in you. I mean, employees at Starbucks are getting breakthroughs. And how to live their lives. And how to be better employees. How much more the people of God. Who have the spirit of God living in them. We have every reason to believe. That we can get better. We can get better at time management. We can get better at willpower management. We can get better and be more successful. We can grow in our character. We can eliminate road rage. We, we can be a better uh, employer. We got to have hope. And the scripture gives us that hope. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's giving you a spirit of power. Remember at the beginning I said willpower is like a muscle. 
is a limited resource. You expend it too much, it's, you're going to feel tired, especially if you spend it on things that don't matter. About, if you're procrastinating, you're, doing, you're spending on things that don't really matter. But this is why it's important for us to reconnect with God regularly. Whether that's daily or whether it's two times a day or every other day. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he understood this. Every time he had a free moment, the Bible says, he will steal away and spend time alone with the Father. What was Jesus doing? He was getting re-energized because he knew that the anointing for healing, physical healing, inner healing, that anointing needed to be refilled. But I don't, not only that, maybe Jesus knew a little bit of psychology. You know, Maybe he knew a little bit of how he made us. He knew that as a human being, even though he's fully God and fully man, he had to deal with the limitations of the human being. And he knew willpower was not inexhaustible. He knew that he had a limited supply. And so for him to get recharged, he would go into the presence of God and spend time with the Father. That's what we need to do as well. We may have limited willpower, but we have access to someone that will give us unlimited power. It's just that, like gasoline, when we use it, it runs out. And we need to go back and get a fill-up. Amen? You know, when I, when I go to the gas station, you know, they ask, how much you want? You know? what do I, I say every time, I say, fill it up. Or the British, top it up. Singaporeans, top it up. Top up. You know? I don't know if y'all know the difference. Anyway, Singaporeans say top it up. Anyway, I say fill it up. Why? Because I, I, I want to I go and go and go. And then next time I need to go gas. When my car is running low, I go and fill it up again. That's what we need to do as Christians. We need to go to God and get filled up with his anointing power. But also that time in his presence helps us to re-energize our willpower. For us to do the things that matter the most. Sometimes we're so busy just exerting willpower, willpower, willpower. But we're exerting it all in the wrong places. And being in the presence of God will give you clarity about where to put it. Where to focus it. Do not take this for granted. Willpower is not unlimited. So use it wisely. Second, it says God God has given us the spirit of power and of love. The studies have shown that. Treating people kindly and nicely and giving them a little bit of autonomy and and propping up their dignity, it helps to create better employees, more creative employees. It helps people to have more ownership over what they're doing. So if you're in a leadership position or if you're an employer or you're a manager, don't just bark orders to people. Treat them kindly. God has given you a spirit of love. Why? Because he wants you to prosper. That's why. He doesn't want to have people under you that are just afraid of you all the time. God is not giving you a spirit of fear. Not only of you being afraid, but you causing fear in other people's hearts. He's giving you a spirit of love. So manifest that love. It will go well for you if you do. Well for you and for those who serve under you. Under your leadership. And third... A spirit of self-control, self-discipline, spirit of a sound mind. Yeah, it was observed that willpower tends to evaporate when you hit a time of crisis. When you hit something unexpected, something that makes you feel uncertainty. Willpower tends to evaporate and then you don't stick with the script. You, 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 you don't stick with, with godly character. You just go and you blow up. Well, the answer that Starbucks brought was to premeditate. It, it's like, it's like um, acting for a movie or acting for a Broadway musical. Learn the script, and then when you get out on that stage, you know, when, when a stage actor is out there or, or, or a Hollywood actor, not that I ever had experience at Hollywood acting, but I did have a little experience with stage acting, is you got to memorize the script, and when you go up there, you're not thinking about the next script. And it just comes automatic you got to practice. Best actors are those who it just comes automatic. It comes natural. People who are bad at acting, you can tell they're like thinking about their next line and they don't look authentic. But the best actors, they memorize the scripts until it becomes automatic. Well, here's a little news for you. Memorize certain scripts 
of how to deal with areas of weakness in your life. Areas where you know when you hit the crisis, when you hit a stressful situation, you tend to blow up. You tend to lose your cool. Think about those cues and situations and then pre-script how you're going to respond. Memorize it. Role play with somebody you love until it becomes automatic. You know what the scriptures say about this? It says meditate. He who blessed is he who meditates on the word of the Lord, on the law of the Lord day and night. What happens when a Christian meditates on the word of God day and night? When he's memorizing and meditating on the scriptures. Godly character no longer becomes this decision making process. Godly character becomes this automatic habit. Got to learn how to meditate on how to respond in a godly manner. If you are a man and you struggle with sexual purity, don't try harder. That's not the answer. Trying harder is not the answer. You got to, I mean, if you have an accountability partner, role play with that person about specific situations where you know you are vulnerable to look at pornography. You're vulnerable to fall into lust. And then train yourself so that your response is automatic. What are you going to do when you, when you feel that when you're alone, your roommates are gone, and you know this is the most vulnerable hour? Is when your roommates are gone, you're alone at home. What do you, what do, you do? Make it automatic. Take a walk outside. Go to the Starbucks and sit in the middle. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are some brothers that, that, you know, they go to Starbucks. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. But then they sit in the corner. And nobody looking, free Wi-Fi, and you know, and then they're doing it. That's like that's like even lower than doing it at home. You know what I mean? I'm just being real. Premeditate how you're going to respond, so that when it happens, you don't have to think about it. You just respond with the way that you know pleases God. And lastly, I just want to say, God is not giving you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind, of self-discipline, self-control. Um, if you want to grow in willpower, whether for your spiritual walk, your relationships, your workplace, let me say something. You need a community. Travis found a community at Starbucks. Travis didn't learn how to form these willpower habits alone in his room. He needed a coach to tell him, look, son, you did good in this area. You're still weak. You got to work on this. Let's role play this again. You need a community. You need a spiritual father. You need a discipler that's going to speak into your life. Stop trying to figure out like some people, they, they say, I can't show up to church yet. My life is a mess. I'm still smoking. I'm still going to clubs here and there. Let me, let me come back. I'll come to church, Pastor Christian, when I've cleaned up my mess, when, I've, when, I've, when I'm living a better life. And I'm just here to tell you, look, come as you are. Come as you are. The Jesus said, it's the sick who need a doctor. Jesus knows that you're messed up. Jesus knows that you're struggling. Jesus knows that you still drop the F-bomb now and then. Jesus knows that you flip the bird and, and whatnot. Jesus knows. Just come as you are. The community is here to help you to form better habits, to grow in your willpower so that you can be victorious. In all of this, you got to understand there's also an enemy, the devil. And he's seeking, the Bible says he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he can devour. You think about lions, if you watch a nature channel, they don't go after the big, like, zebras that are looking strong and looking like they're going to kick that lion if it comes near them. They go after, like, the little baby zebra that you're like, oh, so cute. Ah! Ah! <laughs> that lion, the lion pack, they, they go after the weak ones. They're not going after the sheep. They're like, Bleh! but they go after that sheep. <laughs> Limping on one leg. Now you got to build up your spiritual life in such a way. Build up your life so that you're undevourable to the enemy. Amen? Amen. Let me close us in prayer.
Father, I pray that in this room, people that have been living lives where they struggle with just punctuality, they struggle with managing stress, people who can't get off of Facebook at work, just wasting their lives, wasting their time. I pray for breakthrough in this room today. Give us wisdom in how we live our lives. Give us wisdom in how we spend our time. Give your people in this room wisdom in harnessing their willpower toward putting your kingdom first. Harnessing their willpower at glorifying you with the work that they do. That they will do their work with excellence. That they will become the world's best photographers. They will become, they will come into leadership positions in their hagwans. They will come into leadership positions in the public education systems of Korea. They will come into leadership positions of business and politics because of the excellence by which they do their work. Because of their ability to focus their willpower on those things that matter the most. Lord Father, we are tired of living defeated lives. Give your people give your people the hope today that they can get better and better. That they can improve and change as individuals. Give them hope that they don't have to live in debt anymore. Give them hope that they don't have to live in sickness anymore. Give them hope that they don't have to live with a temper anymore. Or to live with a, a, a sexual addiction or a sexual bondage anymore. Give them hope, God. Of a better day. Of a more godly character. Of a more successful and productive worker. Give them hope, Lord. And pour out your spirit upon them. For you have not given us a spirit of fear. But a spirit of power. Love. And of self-discipline. The people of God ought to be the most disciplined people on the earth. Father, help us. Help us, Lord. To behave as the people that you called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all rise to our feet?